Welcome back to the Loyalist Podcast. We are here with a very special guest, Ali from the We Are Luton Town Podcast. How are you today, Ali? I'm doing well, thanks, gents. Good to be here. We knew we had to have somebody to represent Luton Town on this podcast sooner or later, uh, and we could not think of anyone better than what is it, Sir Snooty? <laughs> no, it's Lord, Lord Snooty. Um, I, I don't call myself Lord Snooty. A lot of people do, though. So we are happy to have you. Um, I The Hatters have been one of my favorite teams to watch this season. We did uh, actually one of our first episodes was going over uh, our summer predictions for the Premier League this season that we made with our friends beforehand um, just for bragging rights. And I had Luton staying up. And for about a month, that felt like the dumbest thing I've ever put in writing. But ever since, it has been a hell of a ride. It has been. It, it's you Look, at the beginning of the season, we knew we'd be in a relegation battle. We, we knew that. Look, it, this season draws parallels to the 1982-83 season when we got promoted from what was known as Division 2 at the time. Um, went up as champions. We had a tremendous team, some legends in there. Mal Donaghy, who went on to play for Man United in 1989. Um, Brian Steen, Ricky Hill, some amazing players that really made a mark on Division One, which is now the Premier League. And the parallels are that we stayed up on the final day of the season. It, it remains to be seen if we will stay up on the final day of the season, but I... I'm impressed by the recent performances and if we can keep carrying on this momentum and also it looks like a lot of the teams in the bottom half starting to fall away, we we could be safe from relegation before the final game of the season. And I'm impressed that you decided to keep us up in your preseason predictions because not a lot of people did. Everyone was writing us off. Everyone was saying, oh, they've only spent 20 million pounds. They're not going to break Derby's record. And the funniest thing is, under each one of our signings, so prior to signing Ross Barkley, of course, every one of our signings, we signed Chirog Bene, who was our first signing of the summer. We signed him on a free from Rotherham, who are perennial relegation battlers in the championship. They're a bit of a yo-yo between League One and the championship. So under that, everyone's like, this is a terrible signing. I mean, opposition fans, like they're going to break Derby's record. So now those people are getting brigaded because Chirog Bene has just been featured on Monday Night Football, tearing Brighton and Dan Byrne of Newcastle to absolute shreds. So it's all good. Yeah, I mean, I hate to point the finger at myself but i was one of those people um i I coined the term the luton fade uh and we did use it quite a bit uh we do some gambling on this podcast and the luton fade was uh was good to me for a while um but boy it started hurting us and you talk about other teams that are in that relegation scrap luton has a lot more juice than them uh i mean that result against newcastle and the result against brighton uh not not fluky at all. Um, just really playing good ball, which is something I've always fallen back on. I thought Luton depended too much on set pieces and generating goals, but uh, now they're actually starting to play some good ball. Uh, and boy, I just think they can do it. Well, the thing is, if you look at the first 10 games, we weren't playing bad football. It was it was a combination of naivety plus the step up from the championship to the Premier League. Because if you look back 10 years ago, pretty much to this day, we were in the National League. We we were beating Macclesfield 2-1 away from home. (laughs) And and 10 years later, we're we're four divisions higher, you know? So that season, 10 years ago, we won the the National League and then we went up to League 2. We had a couple of seasons in League 2. League 1, we won League 1 in one season. And then we had three seasons, I want to say, 19, 20, 21, 20. We had four seasons in the championship before going up to the Premier League. And even in the championship, we were one of the smallest budgets. We were bottom four budget. But what we have is that cohesive team spirit. We don't need to sign big names. We don't need to throw around big amounts of cash because we have that cohesive team spirit. 
and top-notch recruitment. And I, I'm sure you probably thought the loose and fade because, you know, you saw us getting blown away 4-1 against Brighton opening day. But that wasn't a blowout. It really wasn't. Uh, we brought the game back to 2-1. We could have leveled it to 2-2. But then the naivety of being in a new division and also maybe some tired legs because there is that gulf in in athleticism between premiership and championship. Um, we went hunting for that equaliser. Brighton just punished us twice on the break. Well, one of them was Petty was trying to do kick-ups in, in our own box, which I, I don't understand. But that naivety, <laughs> that, that goes under naivety. And then Chelsea, we looked decent and we got punished three times. And that's pretty much it. West Ham, we should have got a 95th minute penalty for like the most handball-y handball you'll ever see from James Ward-Krause. Fulham, we played them off the park. Um, their goal came from our keeper pushing it straight out to, um, I can't remember who it was in the middle, swept it away. Wolves, um, we were we were blowing them away. Um, this was a home game. We, we absolutely destroyed them. They went down to 10. They went into a low block. They hit us on the break. Um, and we didn't really sort of come into our own until, I'd say, 10, 12 games Liverpool. when you could... Yeah, uh, well, no, Liverpool, yeah, I'd say Forest was probably the turning point, coming from 2-0 down with 10 minutes to go and tying the game up at 2-2. Because before then, the performances weren't really that great. But Liverpool, I would say, was the real turning point because yeah. we looked like a proper team. Like I'm sure you guys watched that game. Like, we looked like a Premier League outfit there. We really did. And that was probably the first game where, you know, we went toe-to-toe with the big boys. And, you know, they... I, I don't think Klopp was expecting it. Not by any stretch. Something about that tiny pitch, man. Uh, we're going to talk about tiny. it. For sure. It's not tiny. <laughs> it's, it's, it's five yards thinner than, uh, you know, this whole big myth about pitches is nonsense <laughs> it's it, it's ridiculous it's it's sure they're not all the same size like american uh football pitches but they are that there's not too much difference maybe that it's like three yards shorter four yards thinner there's not that much difference it just looks tight because the the stands are right on top of it you can literally reach out and touch the players that, that's pretty much it it, the pitch is a regular size. I don't know, man. When I was watching the Arsenal game, especially, <laughs> it just felt like Saka and Martinelli had no width out there. And I think it gets in their heads probably. Um, and then I think it definitely helps on the corner goals because there's something there's something in the juice there. I don't understand it. Yeah, we take corners <laughs> like penalties, don't we? Uh, yeah. We work we really on do. it. Yeah, yeah. Like It's yeah. really funny because my dad was saying to me last season, I think it was just before the... We are on our way to the Sunderland playoff semi-final. We, we, were, we had a 2-1 deficit that we'd brought from Stadium Light back to Luton. We had to beat them by two clear goals to go to the playoff final. My dad said to me in the car, we never score from corners. What, where, can you tell me, when was the last time we scored from a corner? So we scored from a corner in that game. And then this season, <laughs> we, we are literally taking corners like they're penalties. Um, I think it's something that we've been working on. It seems we just we do the same thing every time. Hit it to the back stick. Someone gets over the man, heads it back across goal. Someone nods it in. Or hit it to the near post. Someone goes to the near post flick on. We have two routines and they've worked really, really well. We got a well, lot they benefit of great. They benefit greatly off something that drives Sam mad, which is not putting guys on the post. Oh no, it's but, crazy. But, yeah, putting people on the post is kind of outdated. A lot of the a lot of the modern I know, managers, but why? Yeah. But why? Explain it to me. Someone please explain it to me why we can't have men on post. No, I, I think it is sensible to look, it's a very grassroots <laughs> thing. Having someone on the post, because if the ball comes in, someone can head it or hack it clear. But what they prefer now is they put one man on the post, on the near post, that will follow the ball across on the line, which I don't know. Look, these are professional football <laughs> managers. I guess they know what they're doing. Um, but for me, I prefer having a man on each post. It, it takes some of the burden off the goalkeeper. Um, 
but I think they just want more men actually in the six yard box to challenge for the ball. I don't know. <laughs> I guess, man. I I don't know. Um, but we got to get into some of these questions. I wanted to start by asking for our audience that doesn't know you, how long have you supported Luton? And um, I guess, why'd you choose Luton? I'm assuming you were born into it. Yeah, so I'm not actually from Luton. Uh, my dad is. So my dad's been following Luton since 1959. His dad wasn't uh, wasn't big into sports. So when my dad my, when my my dad's dad was uh, working, my my dad would uh, take himself to the Luton games. Um, he'd walk from Old Bedford Road, which is quite a walk, you know, to to the Luton Luton Stadium. Um, but my, my my grandpa did take my dad to his first ever football game, which was the FA Cup final in 1959. And that is something that my dad tells absolutely everyone, even if they don't ask. He'll start every conversation with, my first football game was the FA Cup final, 1959. We lost 2-1 to Nottingham Forest. And that that's pretty much how he starts every single conversation. Um and then he took me to my first game in the 95-96 season. I was actually discussing this today on our Discord server. Um, I can't remember what my first game was. Um, all I remember from that season... So I, I'm not very good with math, so I'm not sure how old I was. I think I was maybe six or seven. Um, I was born in 88 two months after the uh, FA Cup final, uh, the League Cup final win against Arsenal, where we beat uh, you guys 3-2. It was an absolute classic of a game. <laughs> they called that um, one the North London Derby. <laughs> got, well, there is, a, you know, there's an airport in Luton. It's called London Luton. So, you know, yeah, we, we <laughs> technically, in air quotes, we're technically a London club, aren't we? Um, I think it's only 45 minutes away or something like that, right? Oh, it, you know, if you hop on the train, it's uh, 16 minutes, you know, straight into Kentish wow. Town. It's very, it's very good, very easy. Um, I don't remember the game, but what I do remember from that season, because well, we were in what is now known as the Championship, we got relegated. I remember getting relegated uh, and that was it. And then I remember from our League One campaign, but it was called Division Two at the time. I remember kicking off that season with a loss. And I remember that season pretty well because we had a very good playoff push. We had some tremendous players, but Dwight Marshall, Tony Thorpe, Matthew Spring. Uh, Matthew Upson started that season with us as well before Arsenal snapped him up for you know a couple of million um yeah that that was that was a good team and you know i was hooked straight away um you know watching luton batter crew six nil uh although they got their own back on us in the playoff semi-final i was hooked i was hooked you know because uh it, it was just great for me and my dad to go to something together get out of the house watch some football is tremendous and you know as you've all seen kenilworth road is a beautiful and unique place as well. First time you see it, it blew my mind. It really did. So we got to talk about, you know, the the makeup of the squad. We did the transfer roundup before uh, the summer window closed. Um, Ross Barkley, I wasn't a fan of him coming back from Nice. You know, I recently went to the south of France for a honeymoon. Can't imagine deciding to leave and go to Luton, but that's just me. Uh, he's been absolutely on fire this season. He has. He has indeed. Uh, I remember when I heard that he was signing. So I got a little heads up about it, that he was signing. And uh, because it went so under the radar, I didn't want to tell anyone. I told like my podcast co-host, and I said that this cannot go on socials because I haven't seen it anywhere. Like Fabrizio Romano hadn't leaked it. No one. <laughs> I was about no to say happening no one knew it was happening it was the best kept secret um so i told people um you know on our on our social media channels like prepare yourself for an absolute paradigm shifting signing for luton town like this is a indication of the pool of luton town the projects um the belief from people that want to join that luton town are only going in one direction and that luton town can realistically stay in the Premier League this season. 
Um, so I believed he'd be amazing, but I actually thought he'd be an attacking midfielder, whereas he's playing in a in a deep lying double pivot, and it's blown my mind because having grown up watching Ross Barkley doing you know the attacking midfield thing for Everton, I was expecting him to be you know just sort of hovering around in the ten position. Uh, try, trying to you know do stuff up there, but what he's doing is oh my god, it's just so much better. And without doubt, he is the best player I have seen in a Luton shirt in my time following the club. I've seen some great people, and it's even sort of stirred up the debate amongst the older fan base who saw Ricky Hill play, and Ricky Hill was a legendary footballer. Um, like how he didn't get more than two England caps is absolutely mind blowing because he was he was tremendous. He was a player that had over five hundred appearances for Luton Town. Um, like Jamie Redknapp has said, he is the reason. Ricky Hill is the reason that Jamie Redknapp is a Luton Town fan from being a small boy because Ricky Hill was that good. Like if you were a midfielder, you wanted to be like Ricky Hill. He was so good. And the older fan base are now debating, is Ross Barkley better than Ricky Hill? Obviously, the difference is Ross Barkley's done it for 25 games. Ricky Hill did it for over 500. We'll have to see if Ross does stick around with us. But what a breath of fresh air he has been for Luton Town. The way he moves with the ball, his defensive contributions, his, his contributions going forward. He is just my he's a mind-blowing player and he's just so good to have around the squad and, and the way we have breathed new life into Ross Barkley because everyone when, when we signed Ross Barkley I think it was more skewed from from people looking in from outside everyone every Luton Town fan was blown away with it but people looking in you would have thought, yeah, he's washed. There's there's nothing left to him. He's flamed out at Nice. He's He hasn't done it. Aston Villa. He went back to Everton. He couldn't do it. So he's not going to turn it on. But after, I'd say, a slow start where he was sort of shaking off the cobwebs, he's just blossomed. He's he's so good now. I've I've <laughs> talked about him so much on the podcast. I've spoke spoke about him after all our all the matches we have post-match phone-ins i've spoken about him so much and i have literally run out of things to say about him there i can't say anything else about him because he's just that good and if he doesn't get a call up to the england squad for the euros and gareth southgate picks jordan henderson in, he's in sure Central. picking Jordan Henderson. Get ready, it's, Ollie, because he is right. picking Jordan Henderson. It, it's it's mind blowing. It's mind blowing. Like <laughs> Gareth Southgate went to Ajax to watch Jordan Henderson play sure sideways and backward passes when he could have gone <laughs> to to Luton Newcastle and just seen a Ross Barkley masterclass. Ross Barkley tackling people, bringing the ball out to you know dribbling pretty much the full length of the pitch to you know, lay on his own goal, essentially. Like, he laid off Alfie Doughty. Alfie Doughty had a shot. It rebounded, fell to Ross Barkley, swept it in. It it was insane. His numbers for that game were insane. But it's not just that game. I know I said I ran out of things to talk about with Ross Barkley, but I really haven't. Against <laughs> Arsenal, he was the best player on the pitch. Yes, Against so Man City, yes, so he was good. the best player on the pitch. He left Martin Odegaard on his ass six or seven he times, did. and Odegaard is phenomenal. And and it was reported that Odegaard said to Ross Barkley during the match, "Please stop running at me. I'm not surprised because <laughs> Ross Barkley has been tremendous, and he's just." He's just going to get better. He's getting better every game. I don't know how he's doing it, but he just is. Every game, his performances go up another notch. Oh, he's, he's so important for us. Yeah. You got to credit Rob Edwards with where he put him. I totally agree. Uh, I, don't, I don't know if it's because of Pep, um, but I feel like there's been this movement of central midfielders to like more small, dynamic, you know, Bar Bernardo Silva, Gundogan types. And... You, there's just something I love the signing 
let me let me say that I, I me and Sam argued about it on our uh, transfer roundup, but there's just something about that vintage, overly physical. But he's still got such a nice touch on the ball. Like he does so many things right uh, every game, and I'm blown away by him. I can't say enough good things about him either. So I think you make a great point. My biggest question about Ross Barkley right now: um, How much will Chelsea buy him for? <laughs> <laughs> Can you imagine if they buy him back? <laughs> Can you imagine? Like, like, look, I wouldn't put that past Chelsea. They could do that. Um, yeah, like I, I would, I would say to pry him away from Luton, you're looking at like at least fifty mil. Seriously, that'd be funnier um, than the Pogba stuff. That would be funnier than the Pogba stuff. It sure. would be way funnier than Pogba for sure. Yeah. Yeah, um, <laughs> you mean, how much did Man United pay for Pogba? Like 95 mil. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. just everything that's gone on with Barkley. I mean, there were pundits that people that I respect that probably would have said he'll never play English football again, you know, and they couldn't have been more wrong. Yeah. Look, I don't think he would leave us, though, because it's no. fairly obvious he's really enjoying the football right now. He's. He's obviously enjoying the fact that he's a big fish in a little pond. I will call Luton a big pond, uh, a little pond even. And Ross Barkley is the big fish. Um, It's the fact that everything goes through him. Sure, he gets all the man of the match awards. He gets the diamond player of the month awards from, you know, all the internal awards from Luton. Fair play because he deserves them. He's been so good. And at the end of the season, I expect him to have a clean sweep of all the player of the year and, Internet Player of the Year and all the all the year end awards, he, he'll get them all. He deserves it, and I think he's really enjoying his time here. I he's a wealthy man. He's had so many contracts during his time. I don't think he needs to move for the money. You know, he's not going to be on big money at Luton because we have a very tight wage structure, and we're not breaking it for anyone. Um, obviously we pushed the boat out a little bit more this year, you know, not our, our players aren't all on, you know, a maximum of 10 K per week. Now, like Ross Barkley would be on something in the region of 35 to maybe 45 a week, basic with bonuses, uh, depending on his performances. And I don't think he's here for the money. He's here just because he wants to play football. Yeah, you, I mean, you got to love it. Uh, I mean, we're going to ask you about your player of the season for Luton, but I think we got that covered. Um, <laughs> I will ask you about another player, though. Um, I've been really impressed with Elijah Adebayo. Um, I know he had a season, what was it, three seasons ago, where he scored 16 in the championship. Um, so this type of form isn't crazy uh, for him. But, I mean, I think he'll surpass 16 as long as he stays healthy, knock on wood. Yeah, it's, it's looking like he's going to have a good season. I called it at the beginning of the season that he would be more ready for the Premiership um, than Carlton Morris. Um, I felt he had that... They're, they're both very physical strikers. But Elijah Adebayo has that unpredictable nature, in which case, like, when he traps the ball, you don't know what he's going to do with it. I don't know if he even knows what he's going to do with it. But his sort of really tall, gangly physique, defenders can't cope with it. They can't get near him. And he, he he's so good with the ball at his feet. And um, he had, I, I guess his numbers had a bit of a drop off last season. But that that mainly was because the season before, he, he finished the season unfit. Like he was injured in uh, the run-in to the playoffs. He was out for pretty much the entire playoffs. And then Nathan Jones ended up bringing him on um, for the Huddersfield second leg. Uh, brought him on for the last two minutes. And the poor guy couldn't walk. He, he couldn't... He, he could barely walk. And then he sort of did this weird little run. And I don't understand what Nathan Jones was trying to do with that. I, I think his rationale was... Yeah, if we get a corner, Elijah's tall, he'll be able to nod it in from a corner or something like that. <laughs> um, but I think it did more damage to Elijah 
than anyone realized because it was fairly obvious when the next season started last season, he wasn't fit. And he wasn't fit until probably the second half of the season when we saw what Elijah Adebayo was about, um, the way he runs down the wing, the way he, you know, gets on the end of chances. And that was all epitomized with the goal he laid on for Jordan Clark in the playoff final, where he just turned Carl McFadden inside, outside, the running, the 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 leaving McFadden stray on the floor, and then laying it on a plate for John Clark to smash it in at Wembley. Absolutely tremendous. And the best thing about this, he cost us £250,000 from Walsall. It's tremendous. And in that season, I think it was the 1920 season, James Collins, our, our former striker, he was, you know, he was struggling. I'm glad James Collins has sort of revitalized the derby now, but he he just really wasn't finding the back of the net. And then we bring in this like untested kid from League Two, Walsall, and Elijah Adebayo hit the ground running. He scored on his first substitute appearance and he's never looked back, really. he's He's been fantastic. He really has been. And now that we've moved back to a two-up top with Carlton Morris, he just works so well with Carlton Morris. It's tremendous to see. Yeah, I've been really impressed with him. I mean, he managed a Premier League hat-trick before Marcus Rashford, so you got to be happy about that. <laughs> yeah, and Rashford um, only played, like, what, 200 more appearances before Elijah Adebayo? <laughs> Something like that, yeah. Rounding up. Yeah, very <laughs> impressive. I, I think they're about the same age, right? They're both 26. Um, yeah. But... How do how have you felt about another um, you know regular squad player uh, as Arsenal fans? I want to you know see what you think of Sambi Lokanga because he was brought to Arsenal uh, very young, um, and we just threw him right into the fire with Mikel Arteta trying a lot of very high level stuff. Uh, the fans quickly hated him, and I felt pretty bad for the kid. You know, considering some of the stuff you see online that happens after some appearances like that, he's going in the midfield with trying to replace Thomas Partey, you know, which is unfortunately something we need far too often. Um, <laughs> and Granit Xhaka, Odegaard, just players that he wasn't definitely at the time at the caliber to play with them. Um, but I've been impressed with his play this season. How about you? Yeah, I've been, I've been so impressed with Sambi. It was, it was a real shame because he came on. Um, he, he started the game against Fulham. Uh, sort of towards the beginning of the season. I think it was our fourth game. He got injured and he was out for three months. Um, fortunately, at the time, we had Marvellous Nakamba who was able to sort of step into that position. But since uh, Sambi's come back into the team, he's formed this absolutely tremendous partnership, this double pivot with Ross Barkley. And the thing that epitomizes Sambi Lokonga is... It, not just the way he moves with the ball, the way he his passes break the press. It, you need to look at our second goal against Brighton, where he pings this ball that just cuts out about six players. Oh, Chiro it's so Bene good! To run it was it was so good. The swaz on that ball, it was perfect so for good. for Chio to to run on, take it around the keeper, and that that is what Sambi gives you and defensively he's very good he tracks back he also manages to get forward um there have been rumors that arsenal are happy to let him go i i do worry that like with fabrizio romano sort of touting him out and talking about how good he's been this season it means luton town might not get the chance to to get him partially because because of ffp arsenal are going to kind of want to rake in as much money as possible for Sambi Lukonga. But a small part of me hopes that he, he enjoys what's happening at Luton and, you know, the massive part of it that he's playing right now and how the fans absolutely adore him. So I hope he, if the option does come to, to buy him permanently, I hope we take it and I hope he does choose to come with us rather than, perhaps his agent trying to get him a payday somewhere else because look he, he's obviously a very talented kid he really is but he went to crystal palace it didn't work for him and it just so happens people come to luton it works for them 
because we we give them that environment to to thrive and grow and develop and we understand we're a stepping stone club to be honest every club other than man city real madrid barca the very big clubs they're all stepping stones they're all selling clubs and what we we know what we are and i feel if if he were to come to us at the end of the season uh for, for next season you know he can give us another one two seasons and then you know potentially he could go on and really hit the heights in his career like really like fully develop as a player and, and i i never feel him and ross barkley would be amazing yeah never fall in love with a lone player i know what you're gonna say <laughs> Never thought it like. Look, we 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 fell in love with Kin and Dewsbury Hall. We we um we fell in love well, with Marcus Nakamba. Oh, he really yeah. is. He really is. And I, yeah. I think he's been touted for like, I think Leicester put a value of forty or fifty million on him. I think that's fair. Yeah, Brighton wanted him. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Arsenal wanted him too. I think. Yeah, I'm surprised. You know, Luton wanted him as well, but there's no chance. We're you know we're we're going over there with like a half-eaten Twix. Like here, here. This is our <laughs> opening offer. Um, yeah, but I think Sambi Lakonga is definitely a very good replacement for Keenan Dewsbury Hall because any player we could have got for this Premier League season to go next to Ross Barkley, it would have been Keenan Dewsbury Hall. But because we couldn't get him, Sambi Lakonga has filled those that that area of the pitch fantastically well. I almost wonder if there's some like there's some scars there from his Arsenal days because when you see that second goal you're talking about in, in particular against Brighton, like if he continues that trajectory, I can't think of better cover for Declan Rice. I mean, he deserves regular time, but like that would be a perfect person to stand in and we wouldn't, he would be, he'd be free, you know? So we, Sam and I talk all the time about how screwed Arsenal would be if Rice went down, um, especially with parties inconsistency, but I wonder if Arsenal consider retaining him, considering how uh, thin that spot in the squad is. But it's not fair. It's not fair on holding a player just in case. And I'm not saying it's not fair on Luton. It's not fair on a on a player. Like players want to play, don't they? Other than they you know, maybe Stuart Taylor, like the the legendary third choice goalkeeper who had a 25 year career and played a grand total of four times. Um, Players want to play. They they do. Um, sure, like they're getting paid ridiculous money just to, you know to to play. But at the end of the day, they want to play because um, it's their career. It's a short career that they all obviously got into football because they enjoy playing football. They just want to play football, and it's not fair just to be, you know, consigned to the bench just because. Oh, we might need you in case this guy gets an injury. Um, and regardless, the Arsenal fans, you're a fickle bunch, aren't you? You'll be on his back from minute one anyway. So why not just let him go and play where he's appreciated? If you love him, I, set him free. Listen, if I, for your sake, I hope he ends up at Luton. Especially, I mean, if they manage to stay up, that could be... I can't think of a better way to spend the prize money. Um, but... Like Sam said, we are a gambling podcast. We've we've been pretty hot with our picks. Um, Sam, did you take a look at Luton's odds against Sheffield this weekend? No, I didn't. Oh, my gosh. Let's get our producer on that as soon as possible. <laughs> um, because I – I mean, Luton are home, correct? Yeah, it's a home game. Yeah. But I, I, I wouldn't um... – I sort of wouldn't put money on Luton winning the game because after the performances that we've turned in over the past, you know, well, past nine games in all competitions, where we've only lost one. Let down spot. It would be it would be peak Luton for us to turn in a a loss against Sheffield United, a team that's pretty much all but relegated. Um, it would have been it was so bad though, Ali. Luton are heavily favoured. For the record, yeah, like heavily favored. But, 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 I, I but mean, football isn't played on paper, man. <laughs> it's, it's played still, on a pitch. It, it sure isn't. <laughs> now, yeah. I mean, uh, we're gonna have to have a long talk about it, but um, we have had some <laughs> success with uh, guest shouts. Um, so, is there any uh, any angle that you're interested in there? 
So the only one I can really think of is the fact that the Sheffield United manager is Chris Wilder. He hasn't got the best. Um, he hasn't got the best record at Kenilworth Road. Um, so he'll be the first manager to bring a team to Kenilworth Road in four different tiers of English football. So that's the Premier League, the Championship, League Two and the Conference. Uh, his record at Kenilworth Road is played four. He's won once. He's lost three. So, Ooh. yeah, it, it, he he's not exactly um, leading a charmed life at Kenilworth Road. That's the only angle I can think of. Um, the last time he came to Kenilworth Road was with Watford, who are the bitter, bitter rivals for Luton Town. And that was a fantastic game. We won 2-0, but we absolutely played them off the park. Uh, Watford are a dumpster fire of a club anyway, and um, we just piled more misery on them. Um, but I don't know. I Look, my, my, my head is saying that it's going to be a loose and win. And because of the form we're in and sort of the way we're playing with Chio or Bene, right wing back position and finally fitting Carlton Morris and, and Elijah Adebayo up top together. My my head is telling me we have to win, right? It has to That's be what a I'm win. Saying. Yeah, That's what like, I'm saying. Yeah, but football isn't played on paper, is it? Like on paper, we should be beating them. You know, we should be smashing like three or four past them or more. Um, but the reality is Sheffield United are going to be up for it. They are up against it. You know, if they don't start getting points now in the next game, they're down pretty much. Like, they're, they're as good as down now anyway because they got, like, 10 points. They haven't even passed that magical 11-point mark that Derby set in 2006. Um, yeah, but I, they still have players that can, you know, that can hurt you. And uh, it, it depends if the if the crowd are up for it. Because it's uh, sort of a relegation six-pointer, the crowd might be flat. You know, they might not be up for it like they were for, for Brighton or one of the you know other big boys coming to town. Um, I don't know. I'd like to. Are you pressing me for a score prediction? You want over an two and a half? Both teams to score. Mm. I see. I think it could be like another three-two, like we had at Bramble Lane. That's what I'm thinking too. I love that. Yeah, but I reckon I, I I could see Ross Barkley potentially getting two from two goals from midfield. Ooh, um, Ross Barkley score spicy. assist. That's spicy. No, I I could see him bagging a brace. To be honest, um, it's been coming. <laughs> he's uh, he he's been finding these long range shots. I don't know if you saw the game against. I think it was Chelsea. So we went 3-0 down. It was a bit of an unfortunate game, but I think if that game had gone on for one minute longer, we would have tied that game up at 3-0. Um, Ross Barkley got a goal there from a corner, funnily enough. But in the first half, he hit this absolutely insane shot from 40 yards. And it cannons off the crossbar, hits the goalkeeper, and the goalkeeper gathers it. So... I do think no, that was against Newcastle. Sorry, I'm getting. As I said, he tries it every game, and they they do almost <laughs> come off. Um, so it was Newcastle in the home game. We beat them one nil. Uh, he took this shot. It cannoned off the crossbar. Hit Dubravka. Nearly bounced back into the goal, but Dubravka like pounced on it, and he does go for a couple of those a game. So I reckon like he could score one from a corner and one absolute long range shit pinger. I think. Okay. All right. Well, as we're talking about teams going down, let's hear your end of season relegation prediction before we get out of here. <laughs> so it's an interesting one. I don't think Luton are going down. Um, Me either. I reckon Tell you that much. Yeah, I think Burnley, Burnley could uh, struggle to get out of it, to be honest, because Vincent Company is just too reticent to change anything. You know, he's like, I want to play this glorious football. Look at how I passed my way to the, you know, championship title last season. But you know what? We played uh, Burnley a couple of weeks ago, passed them off the pitch. We had 65% possession and Luton Town are not a possession-based side. Yeah, we're sort of moving into that 
realm of, of of football style now, but we've never been big on bossing possession. And we played Burnley off the park. They they score with a counter attack, and then we huffed and puffed for the rest of the game until we got a you know contentious leveler. But I reckon Burnley could struggle to get out of it. I think Sheffield United are done, and I think Nottingham Forest, with or without the points deductions, they could. They could get dragged into it. Um, it's hilarious. Like they they they've signed forty seven players since they got promoted, and they've just gotten worse. Like if you look at the point um, from this season to last season, I think they had twenty six points. This point last season, they got twenty two points. Now they've actually gotten worse. It's hilarious, and they're having a goalkeeper crisis. The, the crisis being they keep signing goalkeepers who who are shit. Um, oh, we're well aware. So, <laughs> we're, we're, we're well aware yeah. of Matt Turner's game. We have, uh, we yeah, have and they got Forest Ethan Horvath as well. So they yep. got Ethan yep. Horvath, like who I wouldn't recommend putting in goal because he was actually one of the worst goalkeepers in the championship last season, even though his numbers were fantastic. You're like, you look at those numbers and you say, wow. 19 clean sheets that's incredible but when you actually interrogate beyond that you can see it's because he faced the second fewest shots in the division we had the best defense apart from burnley last season um and he's now their fifth choice goalkeeper um but the, i i would say who i see as the third team game relegated it has to be crystal palace wow, uh, michael we called Elise, that earlier in the season yeah so michael elise is out for a minimum of two months now and he is a yeah. crucial player for crystal yeah. palace um they cannot just was, rely on eberechi eze i was all in on them after seeing that game um when they they just won last weekend when they had three nil um and i saw the uh elise eze just relentless fire firepower and then Elise goes down, and now I'm just like, I'm all the way out. I, I don't. That team is. They can't buy one. They're having a manager crisis. I don't know if Potter's going to get the job. Hodgson might keel over at any point. Love the guy, but it's tough. He, it's Brentford for me. Good. Oh, Brentford? No. Yes. I don't yes. see Brentford. Brentford, Brentford are really bad. Ollie, Brentford are really bad. If you watch they Brentford are. games, they are sneaky, really bad. It depend on Ivan Tony coming back, moving free kicks, and do I want to count on Neil Malpe to continue to score goals? Fuck no! I have no interest in doing that. So if the, following that logic, Brentford is in deep, deep trouble, and I think yeah, it's I, crazy I, that no one's talking about it. Well, they they did I think really Thomas Frank's in trouble. Keeping. No, Thomas Frank's such yeah. a good manager. He's so tactical. People keep He's telling me that, but they look terrible every time I watch them. They look terrible. They they must have lost that. What is it? It's not second season syndrome. It's like third season syndrome. Like yeah, yeah, yeah. first season they had Christian Eriksen, who was that like X factor for them. Last season mm-hmm. they had Embuemo and Tony, and that was sort of the X yeah. factor. Maybe they've been found out a little bit. Yeah, but how many teams can go down? Only three, and like two of those places are already spoken for. For sure, so. for sure. Well, this has been a lot of fun, uh, Ali. Um, you are a joy to talk to, so we'll have to have you on again, maybe when Arsenal play Luton again later in the season. Um, oh, yeah. But anything you would like to plug, uh, promote your podcast, go ahead. Uh, yeah, so you can uh, check out We Are Luton Town on Facebook, Twitter. That's We Are Luton Town. Uh, you can check out the podcasting arm, follow for, you know, if you enjoyed my my long rambling diatribes, you can check out the Walt podcast on Twitter. Uh, we're also on discord telegram we have a whatsapp community uh and we're also on reddit lovely lovely so listen we have told americans if you're looking for a fun story to jump on this loon town bandwagon because i think they're here to stay at least for this season and uh i'll be rooting for your hatters throughout the rest of the season because i think they deserve to stay up so best of luck to them and thanks for coming on Okay, so you just heard our interview with Ali from the We Are Luton Town podcast. What a guy. What a guy. Um, he, listen, 
he is passionate about the team that he loves, and I can empathize with that. Um, so, Ali, if you're listening to this, thank you for coming on. We appreciate you. Um, great interviewing you, and I'm sure we'll talk to you again later in the season. Uh, just expanding our network, Sam, of all these people who love football and are as sick as us. It's great. Yeah, it's good stuff. Um, love to have anyone that's that passionate about footy on the pod. So I'm super happy with that interview and thank you for coming on. So we just wanted to touch base with you guys uh, off the interview with a bit of a recap. We haven't been doing many recaps lately, but it was a very important uh, weekend in the Premier League for many reasons. Uh, I think we found out who's who. I think we found out who's not who. Um, I want to start with this. Arsenal came out. Sam, when's the last time that in Arsenal's biggest, most important game, they showed up like that? Oh, I don't know. It's It's been a hot minute. Um, this one felt bigger than the result against City. Uh, and it made it me very impressive. It gave me, it gave me Leicester 2016 vibes. Yeah, that's less drama, but yes, I totally agree. That was the biggest Arsenal win I've seen in some time, um, and they absolutely dominated Liverpool. Uh, I see a lot of people talking about how Liverpool didn't show up. I don't think that's necessarily fair. They've been more jacked up for this uh, run-in since Klopp has said he's stepping down or stepping away after this season. I just think Arsenal shut them the fuck down. I think Arsenal neutralized everything they wanted to do. The high press was a statement within the first 10 minutes. Uh, we were we just looked far and away the better side. And it even felt like, even, like, it felt like they knew that their goal was so undeserved. Despite looking good after the beginning of the first half, Arsenal just didn't really let up. Um, even though it was a fluky game-winning goal from Martinelli, it was well deserved. We were, we just looked far superior in every part of the pitch, uh, every performance. Honestly, I don't think you could pick out a bad performance from Arsenal. So, uh, highlighted by that goal at the end by Trossard, just a marvelous performance that makes me feel like we are serious about winning the title this year, which it didn't seem like for the last two months. Yeah, suddenly that left wing position. Um... It's not a position of weakness. It's a position of strength with Martinelli coming back into form. And uh, really, I, I was impressed that Arteta was willing to change tactically, uh, really emphasized playing long out of the back. Gabriel really found uh, Martinelli and Kai multiple times. Um, and that was like very refreshing to see, willing to adapt to the opponent you're playing. Uh, it's something that we were always super critical about, Arsene Wenger. Um, but turns out Mikel's very much willing to do that. Playing long worked, uh, it was very effective. And Kai, I feel like we need to refine the finishing, but incredibly positive performance from him. Um, and we should be very excited about that proposition. Like a really like gritty number nine performance, kind of like, honestly, the stuff that I was happy to see from Hoyland. Um, early in the season when I was saying like the goals weren't there, but the performances still were just doing the dirty work. Honestly, uh, Kanate, two yellow cards, both on tackles uh, to Kai. Uh, there was a couple times he received the ball from Gabrielle in the long ball and just had great touches um, and just really made life difficult for Van Dyke and Kanate, which a lot of people, a lot of strikers struggle to do. So that I, right. despite him not getting on the score sheet, despite his, Pretty um, sad attempt at a finish for that first goal that luckily bounced to Saka. He was incre- he was extremely encouraging, um, but as was everybody, Jorginho probably my man of the match. He was exceptional. I didn't think he had that in his locker. Um, full ninety seven minutes for a guy that's aging. Um, I used to criticize so much. Uh, when he was like third in Ballon d'Or, still think that was a bit excessive. But boy, like is he? He was our heartbeat, and it was really impressive to see after not getting much time over the last two months. Um, so I was happy to see that. Uh, Saka, 
hopefully his injury is minor. Injury is minor. Martinelli, Trossard both look brilliant. Rice was really, really effective in the midfield. Um, everybody. Uh, Odegaard, one of his best games of the season, I felt. And uh, just really, really happy to be an Arsenal fan this this week. So credit to the Gunners. This is now a three-horse race. Um, both Arsenal and Liverpool have to play City still. Uh, so that's two teams that definitely can take points off them. They have to go to the Anfield against Liverpool, place where they have struggled in the past. Um, the game against Arsenal is at the Emirates, but if we continue to get players back at the right time as opposed to the wrong time like last season, I'm listen, I might be buying stock again, Sam. I actually really like our chances. Yeah, I mean, it was hugely impressive. Kai being able to be a contributing factor is not something I expected, um, but it's something that we're definitely going to need going forward. So uh, I thought that was hugely positive. I thought Martinelli and Trossard, how good they both were individually. Um, that is incredibly important because it's just going to take a lot of stress out of everyone else's load that they have to carry. Um but I I am still so hesitant about Raya. Um, it just it's so hard to overcome mistakes that he routinely makes, and I just don't have any confidence in him. Um, so that that right now is my biggest worry. Um, also to the people that the celebration police, uh, can you just grow up? I mean, like, it's it's the most lame thing ever. Jurgen Klopp's whole thing is, like, he brings that emotion and passion. And then to turn around and say, like, no, it's bad that Arsenal does that. It's just lame. Um, and, like, you should celebrate when you win big games. And I think it's stupid that people say otherwise. Um, there's, like, a lot of moments in the Premier League where it can feel soul-crushing. So savor the moments that feel great. Um, and also just shout out to, you know, the Liverpool fans that just like talked about Salah being gone. Wouldn't be a problem. Uh, you know, that game against Chelsea, that looks even worse now after they got battered by Wolves. Um, so it's, it's just like, you know, against these elite teams, like you need Mo Salah, uh, and your team is significantly different without him on the pitch. So hold on to that. Hey, he's just... He's just an X factor that, you know, when you have one of the top five players on earth, any game plan might as well be obsolete at times, you know, with some of the stuff he's able to do. So I thought that was a bit silly to say that. I mean, I do agree they've been, they've done very well without him. Um, Actually, I heard a stat. They hadn't lost a game since he joined the club without him. Like all the games he sits, they've won uh, until this game, but Seems like an anomaly of a stat. I mean, he's he's been their best player for five seasons. So, yeah, that I didn't agree with that. It was definitely a weakened Liverpool side. Um, you know, they can never have Trent and Robertson on the pitch at the same time. I thought that whole back fullback situation definitely didn't help them. They don't have Simicast as a back backup. They don't have Connor Bradley because his father passed away earlier this weekend. Rest in peace. But they had they started Trent and Gomez, and then Trent had to come off because he wasn't fit enough to play a full game, and then Gomez had to switch to the other fullback when he's not even a fullback to begin with, and then Robertson came on for his first time in four months. So I just didn't think that was ideal at all. So I, I understand they've been getting results, but it's definitely like not peak Liverpool. I'd feel better right now if we played the best Liverpool side, and we didn't. Definitely. Um, but yeah, the celebration stuff is so silly to me. Like I can't a team just win and be happy like uh, Klopp ran onto the pitch when they beat Everton in the Merseyside Derby in 2021 like I don't I don't understand I know like I guess I guess as an Arsenal fan it just kind of gets lazy when it's like everybody's against us but in these moments it kind of feels like it because I just don't understand why it's not okay for Arsenal to celebrate it, it feels like there's more of a stink when it's us compared to anybody else um Let's just focus on the fact that Chelsea lost to Wolves four to two at Stamford Bridge, and not fucking complain that Arsenal are that Arteta is high fiving the fans and Odegaard's 
using the camera to take a picture of the team cameraman. Like, honestly, like, get over it. I don't, I don't know a better way to put it. Yeah. Um, Chelsea are a disaster. Um, and I've been pounding the table for that and really manifested in this game. You could tell after the goal by Cole Palmer uh, how pissed Wolves were. And after they equalized, basically, you could see it in their eyes and them talking to each other. They were like, we have this game. Like, we we absolutely have this game. Uh, and they totally dominated. The scoreline should have been 4-1. Uh, Tiago Silva, a great finish off a corner. But, like, is anyone really playing? Um, thoroughly dominated. They are in deep trouble. Uh, Caicedo... He had an assist in this game, but multiple times doesn't track his runner, leads to goals. Um, Pochettino is in deep, deep trouble. Uh, Chelsea overall are in deep, deep trouble because they've sunk so much money into that midfield. And the midfield just gets consistently battered um, every time that they play. So, um, you know, that Liverpool game thoroughly dominated. This game against Wolves thoroughly dominated. It's not getting better. It's getting significantly worse. Um and supposedly there's an article saying they're interested in getting rid of Pochettino, uh, but they can't afford getting rid of Pochettino. So I don't know. They're, that, they're is, in deep trouble. that might be the funniest thing all season that they spend a billion dollars and they can't sack their manager or they'll be relegated. They can't sack their manager. That might make them relegated because it might relegate them. That That is really good stuff. Um, for the listeners that aren't following, Chelsea's financial mishaps are catching up to them. Uh, and they're, I guess they didn't have enough outgoings in January. So they're so close to being on the fringes with financial fair play. Uh, when you sack a manager, you have to buy out his contract basically or continue to pay him. So to sack him and pay the rest of his contract or pay the portion that he agreed would be paid if he was sacked when he signed the contract would push them over the edge to financial fair play is what's being said, meaning they would get a points deduction, meaning still be relegated anyway. So they don't look like they're going to get relegated right now. I would still be really shocked if that happened, but that would be, that would be good stuff. Um, really tough. Worse off than they were under Graham Potter at this point last season. Um, that is truly hard to believe. One point worse than they were under Graham Potter. Uh, Fabrizio tweeted today, Pochettino, I received a very good text after the game against Wolves from the owners. We're all together in this. So that's good. Um, and then I think he just lost his head because he's being asked questions by the reporters. And then he said, Liverpool lost to Arsenal and I didn't hear anything. Yeah, man, they're in first. They're they're the most dominant team in the Premier League right now. So I don't know what – that's probably why because it's their first loss in like three months. They have one loss in the season now, too. You have 12. So maybe figure it out. Um, I also saw a report from The Athletic saying many Chelsea players are beginning to regret the long-term um, contracts that they, that they signed because they are not visualizing the, con- uh, the project that they were sold on. Uh, you think? <laughs> Caicedo could be playing for Liverpool right now. Yeah. They'd Think probably be a that. far better team, too. Him yes. in the McAllister spot, and McAllister can actually not be a CDM. <laughs> yeah. Makes you think. Sure makes you think. Lavia? I wonder how he's feeling about his decision. <laughs> I don't know what any of them are thinking about their decision at this point. This is This is the start of like Pochettino losing the plot, you start lashing out at the media, um, lashing out just anywhere you can, blaming everything else. Uh, and then, you know, you get the text from, you know, the owner, everything's fine, we believe in you. And then anonymous leaks to The Athletic, some of the players in the Chelsea project are upset with the project. Um, that's how you know that things are going down a dark path. Chelsea right now yeah um besides that uh the boys are up and the boys are back five units in the last two weeks um I like that we didn't lead with that didn't need to make a big deal out of it but 
it's uh it's it's vindicating sam was right i was like this is a real thing i texted sam or called him and i was like should we switch to football for a week he was like maybe not all the way to a different sport um and we were able to once we got back to week to week 10 games we're back um i felt good about our picks this week newcastle are fake they're they're as dead to us as brighton for sure um but man united what a pick in that they were just far superior to west ham and arsenal double chance uh city brentford both teams to score over two and a half that felt good um felt for bournemouth a frustrating game but the the netto pick was certainly sharp yeah, and I mean, I think there really is value in score assists for some of these teams, um, you know, that aren't getting the respect they deserve. You know, not. I'm upset we didn't go like pick Wolves double chance, um, but uh, it's a great pick. Like Neto is directly correlated to Wolves doing well. Um, he's unbelievable. Twenty three years old. People are talking about Elise and Sa. I mean, Neto, he's got to be, he's got to be the guy this summer. Has to be. Yeah, I feel like they should cash in for sure. Um, he's going to have value. Elisa and Eze are going to have more value being English, but Neto has shown a lot of promise. He's just come back from injury and he's hitting the ground running. That team, we were serious about them before he went down. Now Huang's going to be coming back, and we're probably going to start buying Wolves again. So yeah. maybe we got to have Dave back because uh, they have been they have been impressive and and Chelsea just stink. But I'm glad United thrashed West Ham like we thought because we've been critical of United. They were very good. Hoyland looked very good, um, and Rashford may be back, which is good. Uh, although he did have one really tough moment in this game. Garnacho looks like a star though, and uh, West Ham aren't that serious, which I've been saying all season. Um, any other notes, Sam, uh, big picture with any of these, I don't know if you want to dive in specifically. I feel like, I feel like we kind of covered Newcastle Luton a bit with, uh, with Ali. Um, anything, any notes? Uh, most goals ever in a premier league weekend, which is sick. That is uh, awesome. I think 45 was the total uh, and 44 was the previous record. So, um, I feel like we were a part of that with the yeah. others. Uh, shout out to Luton, obviously. Um, just unbelievable. We kind of talked about them already, but shout out to them. And I, I'm going to continue to be monitoring Brentford. Um, I really do think that they have a chance to go down. Um, and I'm not going to – I will keep beating the drum for that. And are Villa just a vintage bad team bully? Yes, 100% they are. Okay. Yeah, it's – I think we need to next international break is rapidly approaching. And I think for the final run in, we should do like a tier list. Like they do tier lists in the NFL and the NBA. Because like it's very clear to me, like I I have a similar level of respect for many of these teams. Um and Bournemouth and Forest are probably in the same tier for me. Um was since the Nuno. Uh, appointment and i feel like if we had a tier list a clear tier list it would make some of these picks easier yeah i i definitely agree uh, i definitely think both teams to score is something that we're going to keep using um it felt good i thought we were very unlucky to not get the over in that game as well um you know two goals in the first half and zero in the second half not something you expect to see um and I love where we're at. Yeah, I think we're back up above 16 units on the season, which is hot. And I'm impressed with us. Uh, we had a tough January, dry January, if you will, but we're back. Um, and it feels good. So keep a lookout uh, for this weekend's picks later this week. Uh, we'll have a precap uh, probably out on Thursday, maybe Friday. Uh, we have any games on Friday? Is no, January the worst month of the year? Oh, definitely could be. What's it even got? It's got nothing. It's got. It's got Martin Luther King Day. 
So not nothing. Okay, fair. Um, but <laughs> yeah, like, <laughs> it's not great. It's not great. <laughs> you can't hit me with that. That's outrageous. <laughs> I'm sorry, dude. <laughs> um, you know what? Shout out to that. That that's a miss by me, but definitely think January's got to be up there with one of the worst months. Without Martin Luther King Day, it, it really is undoubtedly the worst month. Playoff football, I guess, the best I can do <laughs> if you're asking me what it's got, because everything else is just everything else just kind of sucks. It's cold. It's definitely the coldest month, um, but we're through it anyway. The silver lining is it's done. It's over. Yeah. So it's big. Um, January wasn't great. I got COVID in January. Everybody's doing their New Year's resolutions. Yeah. But we got some good guests on the pod in January. It was a good month for the loyalists, for sure. True. We got some stuff in the works that we will announce very soon. Um, But as always, if you're new here, uh, please follow. We got our old Twitter account back, which is exciting. Um, And rate review spotify or apple Podcasts, wherever you get your podcasts let us know if you have friends that want us to get um our feed onto different podcast distribution sites i haven't heard that from people but i feel like they wouldn't push the option on us if people didn't use it like google Podcasts and amazon music i don't know i don't know a single person that does but if you know anybody we can do that well you know, call her daddy's all Spotify exclusively. So if they call us to replace her, we'll be there. We're ready to Perfect. answer the call. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm sure we're right there on the list. Um, but hope you enjoyed this episode. Thank you very much for listening. And we will catch you next time. Stay loyal. Yeah.